The information provided on this podcast is not legal advice and is intended for the sole purpose of providing education and legal information. Laws change over time, and the information provided on this podcast may not be up to date. We make no warranty, express or implied, regarding the information provided by our team or our guests on this podcast. The information should not be construed as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with us or any of our guests on the podcast. If you would like to consult with an attorney, please call 1-800-VICTIMS. That's 1-800-842-8467 for attorney referral contact information. This podcast provides a platform for the exchange of ideas and information to help educate crime victims on their rights. Some content will include topics and materials that may involve descriptions of violence or assaults, which can be distressing to victims and survivors. It may also impact service providers experiencing vicarious trauma. Podcasting from the Victims of Crime Resource Center, this is Knowledge is Power, Victim to Survivor, a podcast series where we help crime victims understand their rights so they can go from victims to survivors. On this episode, we will discuss human trafficking. Hello, everyone. It's me again, your humble host, Nima Malavi from the Victim of Crime Resource Center. And today it's my pleasure to welcome in Kirsten Roshko into the podcast. Kirsten is the Anti-Human Trafficking Supervisor at the International Rescue Committee in Sacramento. Kirsten, how's your day going today so far? Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's going very well, thank you. Before we get into the topic of human trafficking today, can you please tell our audience a little bit about your organization? Absolutely. So the International Rescue Committee, or IRC, was founded in 1933 at the request of Albert Einstein. And today, the IRC works in over 40 different countries in response to humanitarian crises internationally. Um, This includes assisting with the Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, protecting children and adolescents um, in Venezuela, who are fleeing to Colombia and providing life-saving assistance during the 2011 tsunami in Japan. So we do a lot of international humanitarian aid crisis uh, assistance. And locally in the United States, we have over 20 offices, um, which primarily seek to assist refugees who are resettling into the U.S. For people who don't know, a refugee is somebody who is fleeing war, persecution, and political upheaval and are seeking safety in another country. So the IRC largely assists in resettling those individuals and helping them in their path to self-sufficiency in a new country. Um, In some of our offices in the U.S. also, we have programs that focus on supporting victims or survivors of crime. And what is your role with the organization? So at the IRC in Sacramento, I'm the anti-trafficking program supervisor. And under our anti-trafficking program, we have two main objectives. One is education and outreach. And under our education and outreach grant, we're actually able to go ahead and provide free trainings to 30 Northern California counties. Um, That includes any 101 human trafficking for individuals who are interested in just getting a baseline idea of what human trafficking really is. It also includes any technical assistance that organizations may have who uh, when they when they encounter more tricky situations with survivors that they're working with and they have questions about maybe immigration or, or situations like that, we can try to point them in the right direction. Um, the other component to our to our program is case management services. So we actually assist survivors of trafficking um, who are currently in their situation and want to leave or who have left their situation and are looking to kind of begin their path of self-sufficiency. So in that, we can provide a lot of different services to, to those survivors with wraparound case management. Now, you mentioned Human Trafficking 101, and I certainly would like to get into that topic with you. Uh, but before we do, can you tell our audience how to get in contact with your organization? Yes, absolutely. So there are two ways that they can reach us. Um, one would be through our email, which is sacramentotrafficking at rescue.org. And they can also definitely reach me at my office phone, which is 916-473-5979. Again, that's 916-473-5979. 
And we will also provide that information in the description box of this podcast. Perfect. So Kirsten, let's start off our discussion on human trafficking. The word trafficking sounds like there must be some sort of movement required, perhaps, perhaps movement across either state lines or into the country. Is that, is that accurate? That's actually a very common misconception with human trafficking. There actually doesn't have to be any movement involved in human trafficking. Um, one, of the, one of the qualifying actors or a couple of the qualifying actors for human trafficking include recruitment, harboring. There can be transportation, but it's not a requirement necessarily. Uh, provision, obtaining of a person, um, or soliciting. So those are the main qualifiers. Of, of the actions that are needed to be trafficked. So to give a, a more concrete example of what that would look like is somebody could actually actually be living in the same house their whole entire lives and be trafficked. Um, it's more about recruiting or harboring in that instance. So if somebody, um, their roommate, let's say, was trafficking them, that could be considered, considered harboring and that would be considered human trafficking. Kirsten, can you share with our audience what qualifies as human trafficking? Yes. So based on what we were just discussing with the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or soliciting of a person, those are some qualifying actions for human trafficking. Um, we also have to qualify a means and a purpose. And this is based on the federal definition of human trafficking, which is how somebody qualifies to be in one of our programs. So the means would be um, through force, fraud, or coercion. So that's how somebody is brought to the trafficking situation and felt like they can't leave, is through those kind of concepts. And the purpose is for sexual exploitation or for labor trafficking. Um, that can also look like domestic servitude. So that takes uh, different kinds of shapes, of course, when we're talking about human trafficking. So the federal definition is a little bit more complicated and less straightforward than a lot of people might think they see in, in some of the media or some of the, the movies that have come out recently. And are there different types of human trafficking? So according to the federal definition, there's two major types, which is sex trafficking and labor trafficking. Um, sex trafficking is, is more what we do see in the media, as I mentioned, um, and we would probably see that also just broadcasted throughout news media and also kind of in Hollywood films. And labor trafficking is a little bit less discussed, um, and that is when somebody is forced to perform that any kind of employment task really that they're not wanting to perform or they were forced into it or have some kind of coercive element in regards to it. So... That's where that forced fraud or coercion comes into play. Um, yeah. I see. Now, does human trafficking have to involve victims who are immigrants or foreign nationals? Is that a requirement? No, absolutely not. So human trafficking can happen to U.S. citizens as well. Um, we do see higher amounts of immigrants being trafficked depending upon their situation, especially if somebody's undocumented, because when people feel vulnerable, they're more likely to, to be in these situations where they feel like they can be uh, taken advantage of because they don't have the means necessarily to gain lawful employment. And then they become fearful sometimes of what might happen if they were to go to law enforcement enforcement and disclose the situation. Are there any industries that are particularly vulnerable to human trafficking? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And actually, I would say no, um, there isn't a specific industry that is vulnerable. You know, human trafficking can happen anywhere to anyone in any kind of situation. It doesn't have to be in, in a specific um, arena necessarily. But that being said, we have seen some very interesting cases because what happens is human trafficking can happen right in front of us. And so we've had some people who've been trafficked in restaurants, uh, people who've been trafficked in senior care facilities, um, and just places that, that most individuals wouldn't think to look. Are there any particularly vulnerable groups that are susceptible to traffickers? Yes, absolutely. There's some vulnerable groups those would be individuals who are more isolated. Um, for example, LGBT youth who are runaway, maybe from their family who is less accepting of them, that sometimes can be a more vulnerable population because they are kind of an easier target for traffickers. Um, similarly, undocumented individuals who don't have papers 
they can be more vulnerable as well because they feel like they can't go to somebody if they get into these situations. So anybody that you could kind of, any population that you could think of being more isolated is more likely to be vulnerable. I understand that with human trafficking, there's an issue with underreporting. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that there's three main reasons why underreporting is really such a problem. First and foremost, you know, human trafficking is an elusive crime. If it was something that was easy to see and spot, of course, we would all be working very hard to, to end it, as well as law enforcement getting in there and trying to do that good work as well. But unfortunately, it is so elusive and it is very well hidden in most cases, so it's not easy to identify. Um, second, victims themselves or survivors themselves, they, they don't actually sometimes they don't know that they're being trafficked. So the word human trafficking, especially um, in, in English, is a, is a very specific word that doesn't carry over to different, different languages or may have different ideas in terms of what the context is. So even, even if there is a word, though, in somebody else's language of what human trafficking is, it doesn't mean that they'll identify as a human trafficking survivor. Um, it may mean that they're actually, they may think that, well, this terrible thing happened to me or I was exploited or taken advantage of, but they would never self-identify as a survivor. So that makes it quite tricky. Um, and then additionally, um, they the community may not be trained on identification as well. So while law enforcement may not be able to be in every restaurant or senior care facilities mentioned before, you know, have eyes everywhere, um, individuals in the community may not know what human trafficking looks like especially. So it, it can be a little bit difficult for, for more tips to be called in on human trafficking. They, people may notice that something odd is going on, but they may not say, hmm, I wonder, is that human trafficking? Let me, let me go ahead and, and give that tip to the law enforcement. Now, you mentioned that it is an elusive crime. Do we have any idea or do we have a grasp on how extensive the, the problem is? So I can give you some statistics in regards to other organizations that have some fantastic research that they're doing. So according to the International Labor Organization, uh, they say that there's about 40 million people globally in these current situations. So it's, it's an expansive issue um, across borders, across countries. And also more locally here in the National Human Trafficking uh, Hotline, they have some statistics as well online that um, f they state that of December 27, 2007, um, there's been 40,000 cases reported to them alone. Now, of course, as we mentioned before, human trafficking is elusive. So even though there's been 40,000 cases reported since 2007, that doesn't mean that there aren't uh, a magnitude more of cases out there. I guess for me, I'm curious in understanding what are the next steps, like what can be done to help and, and change that elusive crime concept? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we do have some fantastic law enforcement partnerships out there and they're really trying to, especially with labor trafficking, um, and I say that because there, there have been successful prosecutions of sex trafficking. With labor trafficking, you see them far and few between. So there's really not as much out there. But our law enforcement partners um, at different DA's offices, they're really trying to get that on the books and really try to raise awareness of the fact that labor trafficking is happening and it should be tried as labor trafficking. Um, so I, I think that behind the scenes, what people don't see in these kind of more secretive meetings for obvious reasons, um, people are, are doing that that behind the scenes work of actually trying to assist in raising awareness of labor trafficking and, and trying to prosecute it in, a, in an actual federal or state level. Um, that's that's much higher level than, than we would imagine. So labor trafficking, what does it look like? Because I could imagine what labor trafficking would look like. But I mean, you said the prosecutions are few and far between. Could you maybe give me just an idea? 
yeah. like, what that would look like. Absolutely. So labor trafficking, um, just from a, a basic kind of case scenario, would that be helpful? Sure. So it can look like many things. So I'll just list off a couple. Um, it can be somebody who's living in a residential home and giving care to somebody, whether that's kind of a domestic servitude situation. So providing almost 24-7 care to children, to senior citizens. Um, it can look like people who are being bused to and from a residence that is owned by a trafficker, maybe like 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 at night, and they're being brought to a place where they're actually to perform that labor, whether it's a restaurant or, or a, other, a different facility. Um, it can be not getting days off of work, so having to work seven days straight or six days straight with maybe no lunch break and below minimum wage pay um, with with threats. And I think the most common thing that we see in labor trafficking are threats of, oh, if if you try to go to law enforcement, they're going to deport you. Or if you go to law enforcement, I'm going to hurt you and your family and I know where your family is. Mm. So there are very elusive, again, things, elusive things that we wouldn't know as regular citizens necessarily that's going on. So that's why when we get kind of our, our, our sensors higher up and we kind of notice the situations that are going on behind the scenes, um, that can help raise that awareness. Now, that's not to say that abuse doesn't happen. Physical abuse does happen in trafficking situations, but it's not the telltale sign. Got it. And so, I mean, that's what labor trafficking looks like. What about sex trafficking? What does that look like? Because, I mean, we've seen movies, I've, I've seen, you know, television, but what, what does real life bear out? Yeah, I mean, sex trafficking, some of, the, some of the things that you see in movies are true. They're not all wrong. You know, you see people who are on the streets sometimes, um, but often we also see people more commonly in apartment brothels. And they're moved from apartment to apartment, from city to city, where they don't even know where they are sometimes so that they can't escape or gain those connections to leave the situation. Um, so that's one way that it could look like. Um, it, I mean, people, traffickers get really creative, unfortunately. And they, I've heard people being trafficked, sex trafficked in fields, you know, both sex and labor trafficked in fields. Um, so it, it can happen anywhere again. And that's, again, one of the reasons why it's more difficult to identify because traffickers will find places where they won't be caught doing the trafficking situation. Um, sex work, not always, but it can have more, um, or sex trafficking rather than sex work, can have more emotional components to it. So an individual may may start the sex trafficking situation because they were in a relationship with the trafficker to begin with. So there's some emotional manipulation that's going on. Or perhaps as it progresses, they get, get emotionally attached, which can be very, very challenging for the survivor because they're maybe still in love with this individual or they really thought that they had a great connection. You know, sometimes people have even gotten married and then they've been sex trafficked. So it's just, it's, it's a whole spectrum. Wow. Is there reason for optimism? I mean, just generally speaking, because it is an elusive crime. You mentioned that there's not a lot of convictions for, you know, labor trafficking. Is there is there reason to be optimistic? Yes, I would say there's not a lot of prosecutions yet. Hmm. And we do have people who are working very hard on it, you know, from ICE and, and, and Department of Homeland Security um, to, to the FBI. We have fantastic partners over there as well, to local law enforcement. You know, they... Sometimes people have certain ideas of, of what these organizations look like, but they are working on human trafficking as well as all the other things that they work on, and they are trying to fight it as well. Um, but then we have organizations like ourselves, but other fantastic partners that we have here in Sacramento and throughout Northern California that are providing these services to survivors and who are getting in schools and trying to, to educate people and educate youth on what human trafficking looks like so that they don't become uh, victims or survivors themselves. How important do you think that piece is, the educational piece? 
Um, I think it's quite important, of course. If, if you are more aware of a situation before you go into it, of course, you may not make the same decisions. Uh, for the survivors that we serve, since they are international, it might be a little bit more tricky to reach them prior to the situation because they're usually in the country of origin and then they get trafficked into the U.S. That's not always. But it's harder to reach them for language capacity reasons, for fear reasons, um, especially if somebody's undocumented. They're obviously going to be a little bit more fearful given um, deportation threats. Are you familiar with any government programs that um, would be available to, to survivors to maybe make them less afraid to step forward? Well, we do have some immigration and by we, I mean the U.S. government has some immigration status for survivors of trafficking. So the the most specific one that I'd like to talk about is the T visa. So mm -hmm. that is a visa specifically for survivors of human trafficking. So if somebody can make a good case with their attorney that they are a survivor of trafficking, they can qualify for a T visa. It's it's not an easy process. Immigration never is. But it's something that's out there that is in in the federal government saying yes, this is important, and we believe international survivors should be able to, to gain eventually the right to be a U.S. citizen. So the T visa, just to give a little bit more background, um, as I understand it, and I'm not an attorney, so I want to put that out there, um, there's a 5,000 uh, visa cap per year, and I believe to this date that cap has never been reached. Another similar visa is the U visa for victims of crime in general, which is a 10,000 cap and has been reached every single year. So survivors of trafficking even have a higher likelihood of, of getting immigration status in the U.S. So with respect to the different organizations that are out there, um, your organization, are we starting to see a proliferation of different community groups that are starting to, to address the issue or, or is it still maybe not where it needs to be. I, I think that we really are seeing people, especially, you know, college students and organizations that are really interested in, in learning more and getting the word out there, which is fantastic because um, more people who learn and the more people who want to spread that, uh, the better. So I, I do think that people are very interested in learning, but maybe they don't know where the resources are. Um, so again, I'd love to give our information. Um, if you're interested in a free training, we always like to tailor them to, to whatever the population might be for the link that might be possible, even if it's just a quick hello and this is what we do versus a two-hour training on a more in-depth, this is what human trafficking really looks like, you can go ahead and give me a call if you're interested and you can reach me at 916-473-5979 and I'd love to connect you with our, with our outreach specialist. Why do you think there's such an issue with identifying potential victims? Well, I think that there's a couple of reasons why there's an issue with identifying victims. I think one of them is that when people think of human trafficking, the first thing that usually comes to mind is sex trafficking. Um, so first and foremost, people will go off on, on that kind of thought cloud of sex trafficking. But human trafficking really does encompass both labor and sex trafficking. So it's hard to identify labor trafficking when it's not really coming to people's minds first and foremost. Um, the second would be because there are so many other kinds of, of victimization that can happen to an individual, which wouldn't make human trafficking the first kind of label that you'd put on this situation. Domestic violence individuals can also be trafficked. Uh, identity theft, fraud, fair wage discrimination, anything like that, that could all be components of human trafficking. So it's easy to, to see an individual, to see a survivor in front of you and say, okay, you're a survivor of this crime or that crime. But because human trafficking, you know, the definition that we discussed is a little bit more in-depth and comprehensive, um, it's, it's a little more difficult to kind of actually give somebody that, that label of a survivor of trafficking. Um, I also think that it comes from the need to increase training. 
And fortunately, we have an outreach and training specialist who can do free trainings in the community all the way up to the Oregon border um, in 30 different counties in Northern California. And I'd be more than happy to contact or give our contact information for anybody who's interested. Um, they could go ahead and reach me at um, 916-473-5979. And I could go ahead and put them in contact with our outreach and education specialists so that they can get a free training if they're interested on something more expansive. That, well, that'd be great. What do you think can be done to increase the level of identification of victims? Well, I think one thing that happens very often is is victim blaming. And we see that not only in human trafficking, but in other other kinds of crimes as well. You know, um, we see that a lot in, in kind of what's going on with, with rape oftentimes as well. You know, oh, what was she doing or what what was he doing if, if the person, depending on the gender, and um, what what exactly did they do to put themselves in that situation really to to make it so they got raped, for example. And we see that in human trafficking. What did you do to to be trafficked? What did you why did you put yourself in that situation? But it's not about what the victim did. It's about what happened in that situation. And regardless it happened. And now they need services services. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I think if we can move away as a culture, as we have been, we've been making some fantastic progress from victim blaming and instead going into, into lifting up our, our survivors and assisting them in gaining services that would really help. But I think a larger component of that is education. So giving people more tools so that they, they know, okay, that's, that's victim blaming phrasing. Let's, let's phrase things like this. And that's actually much more supportive, but also, and moreover, identification resources of Again, what does human trafficking look like? And how can we identify that these are survivors of trafficking and maybe also domestic violence and other kinds of crime, but it's more expansive than just, just one situation. Are there any signs of abuse from which someone will know they, they are a victim of human trafficking? So there's, there's many different kinds of, of human trafficking as we discussed, both sex and labor, and there's many different kinds of, of red flags, as you might say, for, for human trafficking. So Physical abuse can be one component of that, but it's not always there. Somebody does not ever have to be physically touched to be trafficked um, because of that force, fraud, and coercion element. Those are really the three components that are necessary, and it's one of the three. All three don't have to be present. So somebody could be trafficked, and the one of the qualifiers would be that they were threatened or coerced into the situation out of fear. So it, it does get a little bit complicated. Um, I wouldn't say that there's kind of one specific form of abuse that could encapsulate human trafficking, um, but that it is multifaceted. Hmm. If one of our listeners believes that they see indicators of human trafficking in a business, or if they suspect that someone they know has been a victim of human trafficking, uh, what steps should they take? Absolutely. So if somebody believes that they're witnessing human trafficking, our first and foremost advice is to please do not engage. Um, we definitely want to protect anybody, your, the individual and, and the survivor in that situation and the ramifications on either side. It might be towards the individual who, who might approach the survivor or the victim, um, or it might be towards the individual who's currently being trafficked. Um, so just please don't approach a situation. Keep yourself safe and keep the other individual safe. And instead, um, you can definitely report it to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That phone number is one 888 3737-888. Um, and they can help you in terms of getting in contact with the right law enforcement to make that tip. Now, if somebody believes somebody that they know is being trafficked and that individual wants services, uh, we would be more than happy to, to work with that individual, either serving them in our own um, organization or referring them out to a more appropriate organization. So if, if somebody might be trafficked and they need services, they can definitely call me at 916 
473-5979. Okay. And let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about assistance. Uh, what kind of help or assistance is available for human trafficking survivors? Well, through the HOPE program, which is the Human Trafficking Outreach Pre Prevention and Education Program here at the IRC and the International Rescue Committee where I work, um, we provide wraparound case management services in a trauma-informed environment. So we we meet with our clients and as soon as we're able to qualify them, or even sometimes before we're able to qualify them as a survivor of trafficking, we can provide them with a needs assessment. So that's going through and really getting down to what are their high priority needs. And then we create a plan with them in, in regards to how to achieve those goals. Um, in some situations that might look like giving emergency housing or helping with shelter referrals or long-term housing, it can also look like medical referrals to organizations that we work with that are trauma-informed and serve specifically survivors of trafficking. Um, one of our fantastic partners, Dignity Health, they have trained from their janitorial staff all the way up to the head doctor on human trafficking. So they know how to, how to identify it and how to work with survivors. Um, and we have a fantastic partnership with them, along with some other fantastic medical groups here in Sacramento that we would be happy to refer out to for those specific situations. Um, we can also provide some donations depending on the situation with, with clothing and food and, and assist kind of in, in rebuilding their, their self-sufficiency. Um, a lot of times individuals who have been trafficked, they, they, don't ha they didn't have the right to choose for so long. They weren't very empowered uh, because their rights were kind of taken from them. And so we always try to make sure that when we, when we do an enrollment with a client, that we make it survivor-led. We never want to tell the client what they need. And we try to work with them on, on what we can do and what they can do to make sure that we're both working towards their goals. And how does one qualify for uh, help or assistance? So to qualify for assistance through the HOPE program, uh, you just need to meet the federal definition of, of human trafficking. Uh, we serve primarily undocumented individuals or people who are not U.S. citizens. But that being said, we work with WEAVE and we refer to them um, all of our U.S. citizen survivors. So if somebody's interested in getting services, they can reach back out to me at 916 Four seven three five nine seven nine, and then just maybe generally speaking, can you describe the process for gaining access to to assistance? Yes, so they can just call me <laughs> again at nine one six four seven three five nine seven nine, and I try to respond really quickly to these phone calls as fast as I can, and then it would just be about setting up an appointment. We try to meet our survivors at a convenient location that feels comfortable for them, um, or they can meet at our office depending upon what's preferred, and then we just basically have a conversation. There's unfortunately some paperwork, as is the case with any organization, but it, we try to keep it minimal, especially in our first meeting, to just make sure that we can assist them uh, before we get to the nitty gritty of it. And from there, we're able to provide intensive case management services. I see. Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the podcast here today. Thank you so much for having me. Now that you've heard the show, please take a moment to rate and review it. And if you have any questions about any of the information you heard today, you can reach the Victims of Crime Resource Center at 1-800-842-8467. Or you can reach us online at 1-800-VICTIMS.org or Facebook at Victims of Crime Resource Center, or Twitter, at 1-800-VICTIMS. If you haven't had a chance, please take a look at some of the other episodes in our series. Thanks for listening.